But, but what I said in the reading about the bucks live in varied terrain. They live in, in up and down terrain virtually everywhere I've hunted them. Now, yeah, sometimes there's an ag buck that comes out in an alfalfa field you know, every night. You know, that's more a function of, of, of protection and great feed, you know, because he's not he, – one reason I say protection is if he's doing it every night, there's no, they're not letting people hunt him. That's why he's doing it. I mentioned city bucks. You know, they'll, they'll do the same thing. They'll live in the dumbest places. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Hey everybody, Robbie Denning here, uh, back on the mic flying solo today. I'm in my little padded room at the library. No, not that kind of padded room, but uh, a lot better sound quality in here. Although they couldn't get the recording equipment to work today in here. They got some really nice stuff. So I'm back to the iPhone. Uh, might not be the best audio, but it's all we got. Uh, so, uh, podcast today, we're just going to uh, review some of our last episodes and jump into hunting big mule deer. Uh, let's see, uh, what is it, the mid-January? You should have heard Sam's gear review, year-end gear review podcast that we just did. Interviewed all the writers that submitted uh, reviews this year had them pick their favorites and did short interviews with them. It's a giant podcast. If you can't listen to the whole thing, but you're interested in a specific piece of gear on there, just look in the show notes. And if you just can't find what you're looking for in there and don't want to listen to the whole thing, reach out to Sam. He is real unlucky six, real unlucky six on Instagram. He'll point you in the right place. He put a lot of work into that podcast. And uh, thanks to all our writers that made time uh, to record that. Give it a listen. That was all of our best of and some of our gear fails for 2023. That's always a fun podcast. Let's see. Um, I had my scouting podcast, my winter scouting podcast, come out back on the 8th. Uh, for those of you that might have list, uh, missed it, but you're interested in what you're giving up when you go with a compact spotter versus staying with a full spotter, go listen to that episode or jump on the rock slide or I think my it's on my Instagram too. Uh, and there's a reel. It would have been posted roughly the 7th. And you can see a side-by-side head-to-head test between the ATC Swarovski, Swarovski that's their compact, and their full-sized 80 millimeter. Um, ATS. Uh, pr- pretty cool little uh, comparison there. So you can see what you're giving up. Um, I'm going to stick to my guns. What I always say, we pay a lot for small differences. Uh, let's see, Travis had uh, Braxton Ham- Hamilton and Story Ratcliffe on the episode that came out on the 4th. Those guys are some big mule deer hunters. If if you didn't get to hear that episode, uh, go back. I'm not all the way through it yet. I've listened to about the first hour. Uh, lots of big buck hunting tips in there. Um, historical information 
for guys. Um, we're always kind of trying to fight that battle of, you know, not, not trying to live too much in the past, but it's always fun to, to look back at the past. And those guys talk about that just a little bit, but they're younger hunters and they're doing really well. Uh, so I know, I know there's some good stuff for guys to pick up in there. Um, good episode, Travis. Let's see. So, um, I've got a, an episode coming up with, uh, Toby Boudreaux. It's not scheduled yet. might be out about the 22nd, but somewhere in there, uh, we're going to take a look at historical tag numbers in Idaho and it might surprise you. You should listen in to that episode, uh, you know, because everybody's just sure there's a lot more hunters out there than there used to be. Uh, so I reached out to Toby to put some of that information together for us, uh, and we'll do a podcast on it. And what, what do we have? Actually, more hunters now than we did say 10 years ago. That's what a lot of people think. I think we're even going to look back 20 years. And if we don't have more hunters, do we have more hunter participation than we have to? Are we hunting harder than we used to? And I, I think I know the answer, but honestly, till I get Toby on the podcast, um, I, I better not say. So be, be good to get a, a fact check here. Sometimes us hunters, and I'm guilty of it too, uh, we are light on facts, heavy on emotion. So always, you know, try to get your facts straight. That's one thing I've learned on Rockslide, man. I'm real, real careful what I say on some of these threads because sometimes I'm like, now wait a minute, is this just my opinion? Or is this an actual fact? So, uh, you know, and being a human, a complete human, you know, we're, we're all about emotion. I think, I think that's a gift from God. You know, we get to enjoy our emotions. But sometimes when we put them at the forefront, we don't make very good decisions. So that's what that podcast is going to be about. Watch for that episode. Uh, let's see. Uh, I was just going to do a short read today from Hunting Big Mule Deer. Uh, as I wrapped up on the last episode I was on, I think that one was on the 8th. Um, I, I was really excited to get into this kind of last third of the book, which are the techniques to kill the best buck of your life. Uh, everything else up to this point, you know, it, it's been, you know, the scouting, the research, historical information, you know, stories, stuff like that. By the way, there's going to be more stories. I, lo I love stories. That's how I learn the best. Uh, but this this last third of the book is really just the how-to of and again, my opinion on how to kill big mule deer. Um, it, the cool thing about hunting is it's always evolving. So uh, I always point out that I wrote this book, you know, nine years ago. Some of these things have changed. But I was just looking at, at the techniques I wrote about, you know, back in 2015. And I, they're still very solid today. Some of these are timeless. Uh, but, but anything that's changed since then, we'll talk about that um, after, after I do the reading. Today, we are going to talk about the, the techniques to kill the best buck of your life and recognizing buck country. Okay, so here we go. Techniques to kill the best buck of your life. Well, we finally arrived. I've spent a good chunk of this book giving you a history of mule deer, defining exactly what a big mule deer is, and preparing you mentally and physically for the hunt. We dove in how to research and find good areas, becoming a good shot, and selecting the essential equipment. I wrote all that in preparation for what's to come, both in this book and what lies ahead when you finally head out for mule deer country. Now all you need are the techniques to kill the best buck of your life. In this section, I give you all I've got, everything that is proven essential to me in killing all the big mule deer I have. This is where we leave luck at the truck and take our skills to the mountain. Many hunters say I'd rather be lucky than good, but I say I'd rather be good than lucky. Luck is finicky, 
but your skills are dependable. It is our skills that we can depend on, and it is our skills that we must continually practice and refine. Now I'll lay out the nine hunting techniques you must master if you want to kill a buck that scores more than 170. 20 years ago, if I killed a big deer, I thought my success resulted from hunting the right area. Now though, if I get a big buck on the ground, I know the right area is only second to how I hunted the deer. While showing up might be half the game in many pursuits, it's just not so in big buck hunting. I know many hunters who spent years in good deer country, but have yet to kill a big deer. They are obviously in the right place, so what's the holdup? They don't hunt the area correctly. That's what the problem is. They are too focused on the where instead of the how. I've only drawn two really good tags in my lifetime. A Colorado tag in 2010 where I, where I killed a 200 inch buck and a Utah limit entry tag in 1997 where I got skunked even after scouting for eight days preseason and hunting hard the entire 11 day season. On both hunts there were more than a few five to ten year old bucks available and hunting pressure wasn't bad. So why did I kill a 200 inch buck on one and come home empty handed on the other? Hunting technique is why. I was only 28 when I drew that Utah tag. While I did a pretty good job on it and even had a quick chance to shoot a 30-inch non-typical, I didn't hunt the unit right. First, although I scouted for eight days, that still wasn't enough. Good unit or not, you need more like 20 days to get a real feel for the unit and is why I don't like draw hunts. You can't learn them thoroughly like you can in units you can hunt yearly. Second, I covered way too much ground once the season opened. I'd walk five to eight miles per day. While that sounds pretty he-man and seems like a badge of honor nowadays, I've learned since then that big bucks live in within about a square mile and you need to be there and nowhere else. Slowing down and hunting right is the key. By the time I drew Colorado, I was 41 and I had another 13 years of tuition paid to the School of Hard Knocks, your best teacher. I knew by then that it does me no good to run to and fro during the season. Focus on areas that are known buck hideouts thick, nasty, hard to access, and be in them daily. I rarely walk more than a few miles a day on that hunt, ensuring I wasn't polluting the country I hunted. The 200-inch buck I found at last light on the third day had actually seen me, but I was moving slowly enough that he didn't peg me as immediate danger. This gave me the critical seconds needed to make a killing shot. You can watch the video of that hunt on my blog at rockslide.com by searching why we do what we do. A big buck that is five years or older possesses senses and instincts that are far and above ours and those of the other deer in the herd. To kill one on purpose, you have to hunt in a way that you don't spook them until it's too late for them to get away. It's your hunting techniques that will get you the shot, from recognizing buck country to learning how to move in deer country, obeying the wind, still hunting, ambush hunting, tracking, deer drives, long range hunting, and finally glassing. I'll cover all nine techniques. Hunting the cover, the last frontier. Before we dive into the nine techniques, I need to frame the picture I'm about to paint to make sure you understand how and where to apply the techniques. The techniques will work anywhere mule deer are found, but if you want to at least double your success rate, you need to lose any aversion to hunting in and around the cover. By cover, I mean anywhere deer spend the daylight hours. It could be an open brush jungle in Colorado, a stand of Idaho maples, a pinyon juniper forest in southern Utah, or a manzanita tangle in California. Any thick vegetation where mule deer seek security. 
I've killed about half of all my big deer at between 40 and 120 yards in and around the cover. I've killed only two deer at over 400 yards. Had I not hunted the cover, my success rate would be half of what it is. I wrote an article for the magazine Hunting Illustrated about hunting in the cover for big mule deer. Like most articles that don't feature a hunter overlooking a few square miles of open western mule deer country with several thousand dollars in optics, it didn't receive a lot of fanfare. However, I did receive a letter from one man from coastal Washington. He was a blacktail hunter. Big coastal blacktails live as many of our big western mule deer do, in the cover. And killing them requires that a hunter learn to hunt the thick and nasty. His letter simply stated, I really enjoyed your article. It was like a breath of fresh air. Then listed his telephone number. I dialed the number immediately. A genteel man on the other end of the phone answered. By his voice, I could tell he was elderly. I told him I'd received his letter and wondered what he meant by a breath of fresh air. He said he'd spent 60 years hunting big blacktails in the coastal jungles of Washington and Oregon where you can only kill them by hunting in the cover. He'd killed over 30 big blacktails, an incredible feat, most of them from under 100 yards and many under 20 yards. And if I remember right, his rifle was open-sided. He said he thought that today's generation was losing that skill and the respect for that skill of killing big bucks up close. When he read my article, he'd found some hope that those skills haven't died and was thrilled to see a writer going against the grain and expounding on the techniques to hunt in the cover. I told him his letter was like a breath of fresh air to me too and thanked him for writing me. I wish I could sit and drink coffee with that fellow for a few hours. Oh, the stories he could tell and the things I could learn. The following nine techniques are best applied in and around the cover, not in the wide open country we see in so many mule deer images. After all, unless you have a premium tag with few hunters afield, the cover is where many of the big mule deer will be after opening day, especially on firearms hunts. If you can learn to apply these techniques up close, then applying them in the open country will be a breeze. Recognizing buck country. This section could have also fit into the small picture research chapter, but I placed it here as I believe recognizing buck country is actually a technique that you must practice day by day on the hunt, not just in researching places to hunt. When you consider behavior, big mule deer are a subset of the species. This is evident in the country they choose to live in. They don't just wander aimlessly like younger and less experienced bucks. Rather, I believe they choose the country they spend the most time in according to several factors, primarily feed and security. You can develop your skill at recognizing buck country. I estimate only about 10 to 20% of a given unit holds the kind of buck you're looking for, and the ability to find that country quickly improve your, improves your odds of taking a great buck. In this chapter, I'll help you refine your skills at finding buck country, but ultimately it will be time in the field that drives it all home. Security. I list this first because I think it is the number one factor influencing a big mule deer's behavior. If he's made it to four years old, he's encountered many dangers that have taught him how to survive. From the first day of birth, predators such as coyotes and lions and even eagles and hawks have been a threat. These same predators continue to follow the buck as he grows to maturity and are the reason big mule deer are difficult to track. They're always aware of danger from behind. Now considering Consider a buck living in a hunted population. 
If, it make, if he makes it through his first several seasons, he learns that the open country is where the danger is, as today's modern rifleman can reach out farther than ever before. Yet the thick brush and timber, timber are mostly void of humans, so he spends his days there during the season. Also, he learns that the rough, steep country gives him certain advantages. The ability to see long distances, monitor finicky thermal, thermals, and make quick escapes. A hunted big mule deer will always be in the most secure places he can find. This is why some bucks choose to live in city limits where hunting and shooting is banned. Those huge bucks are saying, I know I'm safer here than on the mountain. In almost all places I killed big mule deer, they were in country that featured varied terrain. On a topple map, that means the contour lines will be wavy and close together. There are some foothills just a few miles east of my house. Most of the hills are smooth with few goalies, draws, and rim rock, and are pretty much devoid of bucks. However, if I spend a few hours around the rougher country, I almost always find bucks, or at least buck sign. This is a truism I've seen across the West in every place that mule deer inhabit. Quality feed. I've read several studies about mule deer bucks that have shown they can detect the quality of their feed. I've also noticed over the decades that I find big mule deer living in areas with ample feed. Even in extremely rough high country where most of the ground is covered with rock, the bucks will be where there is ample feed. Whenever I scout desert country for bucks, I look around any agriculture land in the area because that is where most bucks seem to show up. They know where the good groceries are. If there's no agriculture activity in this area, I still find the biggest bucks where the best feed is growing, like the north-facing rim of a rocky mesa where the feed is still green, or in an area with seven-foot-tall sagebrush, which also provides security, and ample browse. On conservation reserve programs, CRP lands, where farmers are paid to not grow crops, it seems after a few years the big bucks don't feed in it much, but rather seek out the newer growth like alfalfa or an aspen stand that is not overly mature. In dry areas, I include water in the feed factor. Bucks have to drink every few days, although there is some evidence that deer in areas with no open water get all their moisture from plants and usually live within about a mile of water and feed. You won't catch me claiming I know all the names of the forbs and plants they eat, but the bucks don't know their names either. By recognizing country with both security and feed, you can narrow down the best places to scout and hunt. Remember that only a small percentage of your unit will hold good bucks, so you have to find these small areas. These areas change according to season, rut, and weather, but even when the bucks are on the move, they seek out certain places. The Onyx Hunt Elite subscription will provide way more value than the $100 annual fee will cost you, and that's before you apply the 20% Rockcast promo code. You'll use Onyx on every hunt, every planning session, and now save money with exclusive deals on gear from the industry's best. Onyx Elite also includes application and draw odds tools, educational resources for all species, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage and now Canada. Onyx Hunt Elite is trusted by millions. Onyx has also released new features to help make hunters more successful. Already known for nationwide public and private land ownership and being a fully functional GPS without service, Onyx Hunt has just released new aerial imagery options like Leaf Off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back and imagery on demand. On top of that, 
Onyx is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your Hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates Onyx has for this hunting season. So try Onyx Hunt for free for seven days or go to onyxmaps.com and use promo code ROCKCAST for 20% off your new Onyx Hunt membership. Okay, everybody, that is just a brief overview of recognizing buck country. The reason I say brief overview, because if you had the book, that chapter has what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pictures in it that with captions and so it's, it's over half the chapter but it doesn't do any good to talk about them if you can't see them and I, I give examples of mule deer country at different elevations but but what I said in the reading about the bucks live in varied terrain they live in in up and down terrain virtually everywhere I've hunted them now yeah sometimes there's an ag buck that comes out in a alfalfa field you know every night you know that's more a function of, of, of protection and great feed, you know, because he's not, he, one reason I say protection is if he's doing it every night, there's no, they're not letting people hunt him. That's why he's doing it. I mentioned city bucks, you know, they'll, they'll do the same thing. They'll live in the dumbest places. Um, there was a buck down by Pocatello this year that was living right outside the railroad yard. Good buck. Um, they just figured out that, hey, this, the, they, I, get, I can give up everything else for the security here. So, not talking about those bucks, but you know, most bucks are going to live in terrain that is up and down, and and this will be all seasons of the year. By up and down, I mean it, it's not smooth. It's going to have um, a, a lot of breaks in it, um, gullies, and um, um, you know, hillsides that are not just one aspect. You know, they're not just only facing west. You know, they'll have little cuts in them and everything. And I think it's just because it offers them so, so much more security. Just a week ago, when I was out doing some scouting, I haven't put a reel up yet, but I, I found mm, the number one or number two buck that I found on the winter range this year. And um, I could see him from the truck, and he wasn't that far off of the road. And the only reason I knew he was there is I had seen like a three-point buck walk through a little opening, so I just started glassing there. And this little three-point, you could see him almost all the time. You know, he was walking around and feeding in probably a, I don't know, 20-yard circle. But I saw a, a heavy antler sticking up out of the brush, and it was just barely bobbing up and down. You could t tell the buck was, was, was feeding. I had to watch this buck for almost 45 minutes before I ever got a full look at him. Um, as in, I could identify his antlers, you know, see most of his body. And it was because he was in some up and down terrain. Now, it, it, it just had little dips in it, and he would stay down in those dips. And all you could see was the top of his antlers. And when he would feed out of the dips, he would feed right into another one. And, and when I say dips, I'm just talking, you know, country, country that's just a few feet lower than the stuff that's maybe five yards away. And he, I mean, he just acted like almost every big buck I've ever seen is in that, you know, even though he's living by a road, you know, lots of people driving by, he just feels more comfortable not being totally visible. 
Um, you know, nobody's shooting at him. There's no hunting season going on. Uh, yet he's still acting different than all the other deer that, w that were around him. And so, you know, move that into hunting season. Of course, any buck worth his salt is going to, going to, try to feed in areas where he's not easily visible. I talked about the cover a lot in that chapter, uh, kind of that pre-chapter right there. Um, same thing, they'll use, they'll, they'll use broken cover to their advantage. Now they can't stay in heavy cover all the time because the sun doesn't reach the ground and it can't grow the plants that they're looking for. Um, you know, that's why you know, a lot of timbered areas are just, if you look at the forest floor, it's just virtually a desert, it's just dead. Uh, they, they, they have to come out, but they're still really careful and they'll use cover, you know, broken cover where they're not visible, um, easily visible. Now, now, these seem like the basics, yet I still catch myself doing it. I see other hunters do it all the time. We just look at the open hillsides and, oh, not a buck there, you know, and, and, and then we move on. But, you know, be looking for this kind of up and down terrain that, that, that is... Uh, and I'm not talking, you know, great big giant slopes that are that are up and down, but just terrain that's up and down, bumpy that that that, that could hide a buck because they are totally comfortable staying in a really small area for for a long time. You know, like maybe like this buck. I watched him. I ended up watching him for over an hour. He never moved out of a ten or fifteen yard circle, and I th and, and it probably was because of that. Road. It probably he just knows there's cars driving by. He doesn't want to be visible. He wants to be, uh, you know, hidden as much as possible. So, so remember that when you're on the mountain, you know, look, look at these. Learn to recognize buck country and and look in these in these small areas and don't just expect them to be easily visible. You know, it, that's it, it's foggy advice, but it's really the best advice I can I can give you. And there's just been so many times I've been, you know, looking at hillsides and not just glass and just you know, my naked eye, and, and, and all of a sudden I'll see something, uh, just a piece of a deer, uh, a, a, a flash of gray, um, you know, that their antlers shine at when, they're, when, when they have hard horn, just something, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll zoom in on it with optics, and sure enough, it's, it's a big buck, and as long as he doesn't know I'm there and he's not trying to escape, I still find they don't, they don't move very much. So, so always remember that, always remember that. Um, as far as, 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 you know, recognizing big buck country too, I mean, you got your high country. I think, you know, high country used to be, you know, it used to be really good. There wasn't that very many people out there. It grows a lot of feed because it's above timberline. That's why it grows a lot of feed. The sun can reach the ground. Um, but, the, but the best high country still had that up and down terrain. Lots of cuts, lots of gullies, you know, things like that, a mix of timber, things like that. You know, but the really, really wide open stuff, it seems like the bucks leave, you know, early September, even without hunting pressure. Um, it, and, and they may not leave and go five miles away, but they're, they're just not a, as visible. Um, so, you know, I'm always looking at that stuff in the early season. You get into the mid, the mid mountain stuff. I talked about those foothills that are east of my house. Um, it's still the same thing. I'm looking for the, 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 the rim rock, the gullies, the, the cuts, the little draws, things like that. Um, it, you know, conserve CRP land, I mentioned that in there. I don't see a lot of bucks. Um, um, in, in CRP. I really don't. I see them around the edges. A lot of times CRP is a field, obviously, so it's flat. It doesn't have that up and down terrain in it. Does will feel f more comfortable out there, young bucks, but again, I don't see a lot of big bucks in it. Um, you know, an exception could just be a place that just, you know, it's, it's private, 
They don't let anybody hunt. Everything around it gets hunted. Yeah, a big buck will, will, will give that up to go, go live on a little flat piece of ground. You pursue them, you cherish them, and now it's time to protect them. This is the Mule Deer Foundation. Our mission is the conservation of mule deer, black-tailed deer and their habitats, the heart and soul of the West. Join the herd today and help us preserve the legacy of these majestic creatures for generations to come. Your membership supports essential conservation projects, research initiatives, and educational programs that secure a future for mule deer and black-tailed deer. Our deer, our heritage, our responsibility. Don't just witness their journey, be a part of it. Join the herd. Together, we can make a difference. Visit muledeer.org today. Um, the, the plants and everything, I still don't know all the plant names. I would love to go into, into the hills with a, with a plant biologist and, you know, have them explain them all to me. You know, I know the big ones, you know, serviceberry, mountain mahogany, bitterbrush. Um, there's not a lot of rose hips around here, but that's a big thing in the south, uh, eastern or southwestern part of the United States. You know, I, I, I know the big ones, but man, when, when you get into good deer country, one thing I've noticed, not only do they live in varied terrain, they live where there's a lot of different plants. And the few habitat biologists that I've been around, they, they always describe it as edge, that deer really want edge. They want a variety of plants. It's called succession also, that has to do with the age of the plants. And so if you get to the edge of say, um, a, a mature stand of lodgepole, and then you know, maybe the next 100 yards might be some aspens that are, that are still growing. The lodgepole hasn't choked them out. And then, but then the aspens even get shorter as you get out to the edge of it. And then it gets into the, 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 the forbs and herbs. Those are the ones I don't know all the names of. But, you know, I've watched mule deer feed. And then I've, you know, like maybe when the season's closed and you know, didn't shoot the buck, he leaves. I go over there and look at what he was eating. And it's a variety of plants and, 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 and they're very selective. You know, you, sometimes it's even hard to see which ones they're feeding on, even if you've watched them drop their head and then you walk over there. But you get looking around and it's like, wow, he skipped these three plants right here and he's just eating this one. Um, but that can also change with, with frost and, and, and time of year and things like that. They'll, their diets will switch over. So... You know, again, I don't know all those plants, and I always, I always poke fun that well, the bucks don't either. But I know what they look like, and I, and I know at different times of the year, you know, what to look for. So I think, I think a lot of that is, is you know, I'd had to write a book that was 300 pages long to get all the pictures in there of all that stuff. I think just spending time in in mule deer country and watching what all the deer are eating. And then specifically, if you get a chance to watch bucks, they'll, they'll cue you in on what they're looking for. I can go anywhere in southeast Idaho and, and, and look at hillsides and, you know, maybe there's not a big buck on it right when I'm, when I'm looking at it. But I'll know that, hey, that's a buck, that's a hillside that a big buck would go to. Um, all other things being equal, like hunting pressure and stuff like that. You know, that's got the feed that he's looking for. And that's just based on seeing hundreds of them over the years in those specific places. Same thing with high country. You know, I can go to above timberline, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, stuff like that. Honestly, it's pretty easy. Um, as long as you can find green, you know, you can usually find bucks. Um, but, but spend enough time in your specific deer country to know that. I know guys that uh, we had him on the podcast, uh, Marlon Holden, you know, he's hunting the desert. You know, I guarantee that guy knows uh, 
he can look out there and, and say, hey, that little area right there, just by the colors and the type of plants that are growing, that, that's, a, that, that's a high odds, a good odds area to spot a buck in. You know, you just kind of learn that stuff as you go, even if, you, if, you, if you're not the habitat biologist and, you know, don't know all the, the Latin names of the plant. You know, I don't think you have to go that far with it, but you do have to spend enough time to know what they're looking for and then, and then recognize that at certain times of the year their diets change. And, you know, for example, you know, some of the grassy areas are more inhabited by mule deer in the spring and into June and everything, but as they get further into the late summer and especially after the frost, they change more over to the woody brows. Um, and so, you know, kind of learn to recognize that stuff too. So hopefully there's some takeaways there for you in, in, in that chapter. Um, you know, I, do, I, don't, I don't push the book very much on the podcast as I'm reading it, but, you know, every once in a while I get somebody asking me, well, where can I find the book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Just, just type in Robbie Denning. You'll see Hunting Big Mule Deer. There's two of them. How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life. That's the one we're reading. The other one is... Um, the stories. Uh, that's that was my follow-up book. You can read that one too. That one's not as much as how-to as it is just the stories. So uh, let's see. Um, coming up on the next time that we're in this book, we're going to be talking about moving in deer country. Um, that's that's took a whole chapter because over the years I found that how you move in deer country matters. So, so watch for that on an upcoming episode. We'll talk about that. Um, also, thanks to everybody that keeps stopping by and leaving us a, a, a review on wherever you listen to podcasts at. Um, I'm on the Apple platform, so that's where I see most of them. But I really appreciate, appreciate you guys doing that. Um, we don't ask for five-star reviews. We try to earn them. So if we've earned that from you, uh, yeah, jump on there. It, it, it helps the podcast. It really does. You know, there's three or four of us working really hard to bring this to you. I appreciate Sam and Travis, everything they've done uh, to to, to keep the podcast frequently because if it was just up to me, you guys wouldn't get episodes very often. often. Um, So it really helps and love love having their perspective on things. And uh, so if wherever you listen to podcasts, if you'd leave us a review, if we've earned a five-star, leave us that. Uh, Thanks to everybody that has stepped up and and done a review. I really appreciate it. Okay, we'll catch you next time on the Rockcast.